You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I am interviewing Dave Schmidto. Dave is the former 2018 College Educator of the Year, former 2014 Michigan Administrator of the Year, and Dave is currently a professor of educational leadership at Central Michigan University. Now, he's also a former elementary school principal, former middle school principal, assistant principal, coach, dean, uh, teacher. Dave has done it all. But Dave is also a proud father of four children, resident beach bum, educational pirate, speaker, and author. Dave also hosts his own podcast called The Lasting Learning Podcast. Go check him out there. But today, Dave and I join forces and voices on the importance of relationships in schools. Now, Dave drops a few nuggets on me, and I'm sure you will appreciate them as much as I did. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super excited to have Dave on the show today. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hello, hello. Nice to be here. Absolutely. So just like every episode, we like to model just like we do in the classroom, connections before content. We do that in the GTKY format, in the flip five format. So Dave, I'll ask you five questions, you flip five back at me, and we'll get a chance to know each other. All right, Dave. Question number one, simple thing. If you could only have one app that you could use on your phone right now, what's the one app that you're going to use? Probably Instagram. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. So let me just look at some pictures and call it good. Absolutely. Okay, Dave. So if you could, thinking about this, right? If you could perform could be anything could be perform you could participate athletically you could go sing with a concert if you could perform with one person who would you want to perform with oh that's easy man tim mcgraw i am a tim mcgraw fanatic i have no voice but i i have uh, been following the man for 25 years and worship him so yep tim mcgraw absolutely i get to see him at concert i live near san antonio i drove all the way to austin to see him in austin earlier in his career right like yeah. early in the 90s Back when career. the mullet was around right yes absolutely <laughs> so yeah i am definitely a country music fan and a tim mcgraw fan so absolutely that's a great answer i like that one all right question number three simple question dave what's your favorite color Orange. Uh, give me a nice sunrise and um, let the, the sky be painted orange. I like it. Interesting. Okay. That's a, that's a, I have not many people pick orange, so I like that one. That sends out. Mine is blue. The background, I pick blue. Blue is just something that, that I've really been drawn to early. In high school, my actually, my room was painted royal blue. And my high school was royal blue, so I took it all into heart, and I've kept it my entire life moving forward. So blue has been a good background for me. Question number four. All right. You got $5,000, and you got 30 minutes to spend it. Where are you shopping, Dave? Oh, man. Um, probably going to go to a travel agency and see where I can go for $5,000 and uh, pick some places on a map I've never been before and say, get me there. Okay. All right, Dave, if I'm coming to your hometown, where are you going to take me? Wow, there's not much here. And I grew up as a Navy brat. So let me let me preface that. My hometown is all over the world. So we're okay. going to the beach if it's one of those. But where I live right now is right in the middle of Michigan. 
And uh, I guess all we're known for here are Coney Islands, little diners, little restaurants with Ooh. hot dogs and Coney sauce. So let's let's just go get some lunch. I love diners. Diners are like my favorite. When I travel, Dave, I love to go the diners. You know, because yeah. one, you can get breakfast all day, and breakfast is like my favorite meal, no go. matter what. So actually, you're speaking my language, believe it or not, <laughs> when you said diners. All right, and I got a bonus question. I always ask all of my guests okay. if you were hosting, Dave, not your pet podcast, but my podcast, the Relationship Center Learning Podcast. Who is an educator that you're like, I got to have this person on this show? So uh, Rick Warmly is a guy that uh, I consider him my godfather of education. He's a guy that um, slapped me across the face a couple of times metaphorically and uh, completely changed my mindset on education. And uh, I, I owe him my career. He's the one that kept me going. So Rick Warmly for sure. Awesome, brother. Appreciate it, man. Hey, that's my five. You got five back at me. Go ahead. Let's flip. All it. right, let's do it. All right. So you and I have a, a similar hairstyle. Uh, back in the day, though, did you ever sport the mullet or a Joey Lawrence or anything like that? Oh, my God. That's the second mullet question I've had this week. That is crazy. <laughs> so, yes. So in the mid-90s, I had the, the, the mullet phase. Um, this was crazy, Dave. I literally was in the middle of student teaching. I had a bad breakup with a fiance, and I walked away from education for st- in the middle of student teaching. I was like wow. one semester away. I walked away from education, walked away from college, moved to Colorado. My brother was a sheet metal insulation person in New Hall, and they call them tenors. And he was doing this for new homes. So I moved out to Colorado for a year, went to sheet metal insulation, grew a mullet and started riding bulls. So you talk about Tim McGraw. I started wow. riding bulls. I started roping. I started doing weekend rodeos. It was just crazy. One year of my life. But yeah, for that year, I rocked the mullet back then. All right. So, yeah. Good for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, just because I could have hair back then that could have right. a yeah, now, <laughs> right, right. Now it's not happening. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Being, being at, you're down in Texas, I'm curious about the answer here. So summer or winter? What do you choose? Oh, my God. You know, and by winter, can... I don't mean Texas winter. I mean <laughs> oh. Michigan winter, like oh. snow, shovels, Okay, ice okay. I see. I was but about I do to mean say... a Texas summer, so. I got you. No, um, it's crazy. Um... uh, That's a tough one. Let's pick winter for right now. I I love to be outdoors. I love to hunt. So we're in hunting season. It just began bow season. But I would would take the winters a little bit more of the summers just because of the fact that I'm so used to the summers. When I I, I did get a chance to hunt in Upper uh, Michigan in the Upper Peninsula. Peninsula. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Menominee, I think was the area that I was hunting. Yeah, Yeah. and so I got to go up there. But I've always been, like when you don't come from Texas and you see these, I tried to take a picture, Dave, of the, of the full-size truck at the bottom of the tree and back up and tried to get the whole picture in there. The trees were so flipping big. I couldn't even get it all in one picture, right? Um, so the forest, the cold, it was such a big change. Um, I wouldn't mind visiting that. And then eventually I got into skiing, so winter became a pretty good thing. So I'd, I'd pick the snow over the, the summer heat in Texas, I think, right See, now. I, I like how you, you preface that by you wouldn't mind visiting. So Because it's a whole different <laughs> animal when it's oh. six months of your life. So <laughs> Oh, I totally... No, I, I would agree. I, that's why yeah, I say, yeah. if you lived in Texas... I had some people from Northeast, like upper upstate New York, they came down in Texas and they were working for me every summer. And I just called them frosty. Like no matter what the temperature was, Dave, they were melting. They were like this humidity. (laughs) They're like, we don't, our bodies don't adjust. So they literally like frosty the snowman. It was like, they were melting every single day, whether it was a hundred or not. All right. Good deal. Well, my my next question is going to also... I'm curious being the Texas guy here. So you're either going to live up to the stereotype or totally reject it. Full-size pickup truck 
or a Tesla? What would you rather have? Oh my God, I have an F two fifty. So we're going full size, <laughs> full size. Stereotype, man. Oh, I have an F two fifty that's lifted with a six inch body lift and thirty seven inch tires. So I'm definitely full size truck. <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right, money is not an option. What do you want for your birthday this year? Oh my God, let's see. I just turned fifty one in September, but if money was not an option. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I would tell you, I mean, my biggest dream is I want a ranch. I, I just I just want 100, 100 acres, 100, 100 to 250 acres small, but I just want my own place. I want my own place to get away, to not hear the noise. Like I said, I'm an outdoorsman. If I could fish and hunt and be out there um, and not have your winters. Yeah, so that 100 okay. acres cannot be up in Michigan, but yes, 100 acres. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So I think we're up to question four here. Um, So on on your hundred acres, if I gave you the choice, you could have some kangaroos or or some koalas. What are you putting on the ranch? Ooh, I'm going to go with koalas. Um, you ever seen those videos where the kangaroo boxes the guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I know. So <laughs> I'm just thinking right now, <laughs> safety and enjoyment-wise, koala's pretty tame, pretty, you know, hanging in the trees. So uh, I'm thinking koalas over kangaroos, but that's a great question. I like that one. Okay, fair enough. All right, and now you're going across country. You're flying or you're driving? This is question five. So flying or driving? I have flown. I traveled 150 days a year since I quit education and started doing this. I would say for my work perspective, flying, drive, I, I don't even drive to Dallas, which Dave is four hours away from here. At this point, I just fly. Time is so valuable at this point, right? But I will tell you, like for Thanksgiving, I'm going to go along the coast. I'm going to go from Portland down to San Francisco and do the 101. So, so for me, is, is I, I do like the idea of driving when, it, when it's vacation or when it's just downtime, right? But for work, fly. Yeah. Well, uh, fly for work, okay. uh, drive for, 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 for pleasure. Sound good? There you go. That's good. Oh, all right, brother. your bet there. Well done. All right. So that was the GTKY part of the show. That is Connections Before Content. So if you want to know more about that, just head over to the website at rclfirst.com, RCL First. You can either click on the uh, opportunity to get f- uh, 28 GTKY questions, or we have a new call to action. You can actually join our weekly circles where we circle with educators on Monday evenings, Thursday evenings, or Saturday mornings. Um, you don't even have to know anything about circle. It's just an opportunity to connect with edu- ed- other educators. Um, and you don't don't know, have to know anything. Just show up, get the Zoom link, click on the link. It's free. Just show up to connect with other educators and to make you feel valued, seen, and heard. So with that out of the way, Dave, we got the connect part out of the way. Let's continue to connect through our content. So Dave, you have a lot. You have a, you're very diverse. Um, you have a lot on your plate. So I want people to get a chance to know just kind of who you are. We will cover through the show, your podcast, your book, and how to reach out to you. But I just want people to know who you are as a person and as an educator. So this is just your open mic. All right. Fair enough. So uh, Dave Schmidt is who I am. Currently live in Michigan. I'm in my 21st year of, of education. Grew up as a Navy brat, lived all over the world, somehow ended up in Michigan for, for college and have spent the bulk of my career here in Michigan. I did take a, a short stint and actually moved down to Florida to, to serve as a turnaround principal for a few years, but opportunities just presented themselves back here in Michigan. I am a father of four absolutely amazing kids. My oldest is in high school. My youngest just started kindergarten. So I'm busy, busy, busy at home. Full-time right now, I am a, a full professor at Central Michigan University, uh, working in educational leadership, 
But prior to that, I was an assistant superintendent, curriculum instruction. I've uh, been a middle school principal, an elementary principal, assistant principal, athletic director, teacher, kind of run the gamut of, of all the things of, of public ed. I also get to write, speak, and hang out with cool guys like you on the side. So yeah, busy, but loving life. Awesome, brother. And that's why I really wanted to get you on the show. I, you know, I have experience at the elementary, the middle school, and the high school, but that's it. You, you have central office in, in, in that, in that repertoire. So let me ask you a question. Out of all of those levels, if you had to pick one that you could finish out your career, which, which level would you pick and why? So it's interesting how you phrase that question, because I would say my favorite position that I ever had out of all those was middle school assistant principal. Um, it was right. It, it was one of those positions where nobody expected me to have a bunch of answers. I could just be that guy that connected with kids all the time. There was always somebody else that people disagree with me. They could go above me, which was totally fine. I was okay. The buck didn't stop with me. Uh, but the, the hours were long. That was a job combined with athletic director. And I, I did that. I was probably working 12, 15 hour days every day that, that I did the job, but I absolutely loved it. So I don't know that I could do that for the next 10, 15 years to finish out my career. Sure. But it was, it was the sweet spot of everything I did. That was it. That, that was the cherry on top. Okay, Dave. So that's really interesting. Cause so from my background, I taught secondary science, integrated physics, biology, and chemistry for 10 years. I was a high school football coach in the state of Texas, offense coordinator, head baseball coach. So coaching career. So you get it with athletic yeah, director. Yeah, yeah. Then I moved to leadership and I went two years at the elementary and then became a middle school principal and then a middle school assistant principal for five years. And that's how I ended my career before I jumped out into consulting. So what's interesting is, and I tell people, don't get your feelings hurt, but the elementary and the secondary were like my favorites. The middle school was my least favorite. And here's why for me, that's why when you said middle school assistant principal, I'm like, are you kidding me? That was the one that would be number three at the elementary and the high school. It was easier to build relationships and to connect with kids, particularly at the elementary. You're a flipping rock star at the elementary, the high school. I've just made stronger connections. The middle school, it literally was the hardest part to connect with teachers. It was hard to connect with students. I don't know if it was just those tween years. Um, and you have a difference for me in Texas, middle school would be seventh and eighth so therefore sixth graders are like big elementary kids eighth graders are like think they're high school kids seventh grade nobody wants to remember seventh grade it's awkward so you know it's just one of those really difficult and so i tell people out of all three that was my least favorite doesn't mean it was bad it was just my least favorite of the three so when when i say that does what is what, what are your thoughts on that yeah it's interesting you know I, I completely understand it because most people when i tell them middle school is my sweet spot i get that are you kidding me look um but but I think I liked it because I am still a middle schooler. I mean, I'm in my mid 40s, but I, I still I'm a 12 year old. I mean, I still laugh at fart jokes and I, I, I still make fun of my, my own kids at home. I, mean, I am a middle school kid through and through. I mean, I would I'd say I stink. I've got hormones. I've got hair growing like that is that is me. And I love it with middle school. I think it was the, the only time in my career where I was able to just be completely myself at all times. And the kids, the bigger the goof off I was, the bigger of, of a weirdo I was, the more the kids ate it up. Whereas at the elementary level, you're right. I mean, you're a rock star. You walk on water. But because of that, there was no need to, to be goofy or no, a, a need to, to be um, anything other than just a human being, just a man in an elementary school was all that was needed. It, was, it wasn't me. It was just any guy would do at the elementary level. Right. And at the high school level, I feel like I'm, I have to, I, I'm guarded. 
I'm always worried about what I'm saying, how I'm looking, where I'm like all the things. If high school freaks me out, to be honest with you, high school is, <laughs> I, I could, I could do without high school. And this is knowing full well that I have a high schooler upstairs right now, high school. Whew. Well, but, but you know, Dave, it does make sense because I'm not that how you described yourself as kind of the middle school person. No, that's not yeah. me. I, I am yeah. more, I am more secondary and I see that in myself and maybe that came through my coaching background, different things like that. But sure. I did, I, I was much more comfortable. In fact, my story was, Dave, I was actually coaching football in October of 2007. I knew I got the assistant principal job at an elementary, but it was it was in district. Um, it was a new position. They had to hit a threshold of like five or 600 kids to get an AP. So it was a new position. And the district had told me like, hey, it's the middle of football season. We're looking at a three to four week transition. I don't know, but you you can speak to central office. Sometimes central office makes decisions that don't make sense. But all of a sudden, somebody on Friday night said, hey, you're going to start going there on Monday. So within 72 hours, Dave, I find myself planted with five to eight-year-olds instead of 15 to 18-year-olds. And so I was like, what? And then on Monday, I, I showed up like, and, and, you, and they ripped the coaching band-aid off of 10 years like that. Like, just stop coaching, go work with elementary kids. And I will tell you, Dave, it was one of those, like, I'd walk in and they're like, hey, Coach, Mr. Curtis, not Coach Curtis, Mr. Curtis, right? A new a new title now. You may want to try to use your inside voice. I was like, Dave, what the hell's an inside voice? Like, you know what I mean? And I was like, they have vocabulary and inside voices and kids walk everywhere and they're transitioned and they yeah. open, open up ketchup packets with the, uh, scissors and, you know, bubbles and tails. And I just was like, after the first week, Dave, I literally went, I don't know if I could do this job. Right. But right. So it was this, it was so hard to transition from big kids to little ones. But as you pointed out, I'd go into a classroom and kids would, you'd get knee hugs all day long. They loved you. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, it pulled me, Dave, to be more personable, to be more dorky. To, so what middle school pulled for you I felt like elementary pulled that out of me. I was much more fun, way more animated. I, you know, I got to be somebody that I hadn't been in education my entire career, right? Yeah. And then I felt like when I got back to middle school, I flipped the switch and went right back to like, okay, these are bigger kids. They should know what to do. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't, it's interesting because now I look back, Dave, I think I could have been more successful if I would have just hung on to who I was at the elementary and just kind of yeah. split that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what I was going to say. I look at middle school kids as though they're big elementary kids. And I think there's other people that look at them as though they're small high school. And the, the ones that look at middle school kids like they're small high school students or junior high students are the ones that typically don't find a whole lot of passion and fun there. But looking at them as big elementary kids and recognizing that even 14-year-olds are still kids. Oh, yeah. I, they're not young adults yet. I mean, they are just as messed up as a five-year-old. Um, I think you can accept it and embrace it a little bit more. So at the middle school, was that, that was assistant principal? Was that leadership at the middle school? Yeah. I, yeah, I started off as a, a teacher. I was a dean of students. I was an assistant principal and a principal at the middle school level. Yeah. Okay. So when you, when you think about it, it, it probably wasn't hard for you to connect with kids and build relationships because you got to be yourself. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the first year though, it, it was kind of 
interesting. I, I taught four hours a day of sixth grade and had a random eighth grade class thrown in at the end of the day. And it was so, so weird. Those two years, those eighth graders scared the crap out of me mm-hmm. my first year as a teacher, because I looked at them. And at the time I was a 22 year old and they're 14, uh, some, some 15. And they had just as much facial hair as I did. I mean, they, and they're, some of them are taller than me, deeper voice than me. And it was intimidating that the, the span from sixth grade to eighth grade messed with me. And then I had a mentor who said, they are just big kids. Teach them like big kids. Don't let them intimidate you. Just go have fun with them. And it changed everything. So, um, yeah, but it was intimidating. It was, a, it was a different world as a teacher. But then I spent the next was it eight years, nine years of, no, 10 years of my career after that, working my way up through various channels at middle schools. And uh, yeah, just loved it. Eat it up. Even to this day, I look back on it and say middle school is, is still the, the sweet spot. Interesting. So when, you know, for me, I know you don't know much about us, but I, I created an organization called National Educators for Restorative Practices. We just train teachers how to build and sustain relationships. And then we train administrators alternatives to traditional consequences through a program or a, you know, a, a, an approach I call differentiated discipline, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I do for a living. Um, we've worked in about a mm, couple hundred different school districts across the country, about 20,000 educators in five years. And so all I do now is struggle like running up against that wall Dave of like, no, relationships are important. And there are some districts that, you know, invite us in, you know, like we need you. And then there are other districts that are like, oh, great. They're bringing us relationships. You, do, yeah. you, do you ever experience that at your variety of levels? Oh <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell you how many. I, I, I think that, and you, I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, but I've been saying lately, that I am so frustrated with people saying that we need to form relationships so that dot, dot, dot. I'm so sick of the so that dot, 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 because right. that's, a, that's manipulation. Relationships matter, period. Yes, you need to focus on relationships for no other reason other than because people matter and kids are still people. So just form relationships. Yes, will it result in better classroom structure and management, better policies, procedures, better academic outcomes? Absolutely. But if you're simply building relationships so that you can get kids to, to jump through your hoops and perform your tricks and do all those things, you're manipulating kids. So stop it. And you're never going to get those results. So yes, I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy because some school districts will bring us in and they'll have so many other initiatives. I'm like, this isn't, we're not even going to get a chance. Yeah. So, so you've been a building principal, but you've also been at central office. So have you ever noticed yeah. that sometimes we put, you know, I tell them sometimes relationships is the plate, but yet we're putting it on the plate. And so, yeah. you know, because I tell them, like you just said, Dave, like if you just build relationships, like start with campus, think about this campus connections is adults. And it's interesting. I never thought of it this way until you said this today, Dave, but I have, I have alluded to teachers as big kids because I mean, I tell them all the time. Okay. Notice what I said, you know, you know, y'all are just like big kids and they're like, eh, and I'm like, look, that's why y'all filled in the back of the room first. And then you filled in the wings. And then of course you, those brown nosers, y'all picked up the front because that's where you want to sit. And then if you came in late, you had to sit at the front and you're pissed. And then, you know, and then you're going to get on your cell phones or you're going to get on Amazon and you're going to be doing your things. And I try to tell them like, y'all are just bigger versions of the same kids. Y'all do the same crap that they do that you complain about. Right. So it's so interesting that you say they're big kids. Cause that's how I think of teachers. You're just bigger kids with a degree or whatever. And so, when I come into these districts, sometimes they have so many initiatives that they're like, oh, and let's do restorative practices or let's do relationship center learning, let's, whatever it is. And then it's like, I come in there and I could see it in their eyes. And I tell them, look, you were voluntold to be here. I get it. 
and you know, and I'm here, but it's, it's to permeate when there's so many other initiatives in the way mm. relationships to me sometimes doesn't even get a chance, but yet it's such a common sense approach. Right. Why in education sometimes, in your opinion, from your experience teaching at the college level now, why is it sometimes, why is it either glazed over or pushed to the side? I mean, what are some of the things of why it's, why we miss the mark when it comes to just the basic human part of connecting? Right. So, oh, you've asked a, a loaded question here. Let's see how long this podcast goes, but hey, we um, got plenty of time. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> Feel free to edit to your heart's content, man. Um, I'll, I'll try to be succinct. It, it the reason I think relationships get lost is I'm a, I'm a huge believer that what we measure is what we value. What we value is what we teach. And because nobody has come up with a way to effectively measure relationships, it gets tossed out the window as though it doesn't, doesn't matter. There's no quantifiable ROI. You can't see the return on your investment with relationships. Although in the real world, you and I know relationships matter more than absolutely anything else. I mean, when we sat down to, to start this, you didn't ask me my IQ level. You didn't ask me what I got in my SATs or ACTs or my GPA. You didn't ask me what my college major was. You didn't ask me what my highest degree attained was. You don't care. You know, we were talking koalas and kangaroos before all this started. I mean, that's what matters most. Relationships matter. And that's not to say content doesn't, is irrelevant. It's not to say that the, the skills and analysis, synthesis, all of that stuff matters. But the bottom line is the soft skills are often the hard skills for kids. And until we get teachers to, to embrace that fact, strike that, until we get administrators to allow teachers to embrace that fact, we're never going to get there. Uh, administrators right now are, are put in this impossible conundrum where they are their numbers are flashed across at them all the time. They're almost like used car salesmen where they have to hit their quota every single year and they have to hit a number. And that number is the percentage of kids proficient. It, they're focused on the, 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 the gap between their populations. They're looking at all of these numbers and then they get all these people that espouse to them to have the, the get rich quick scheme, the, the silver bullet, the magic pill that if you will just have your kids do this program, follow this recipe, do this, whatever gimmick trick it is, you will, you will hit your number. You're in, you're out. We don't hit that number. So we look for the next get rich quick scheme. Five years down the road, we haven't hit it. But if we had just put our time and attention into investing in people, for five years, pouring into them, getting to know them, loving on them, embracing them by people. I mean, the teachers, the students, the community, the stakeholders, the parents, you name it. Then we would have just built a mountain. Instead, all we did was run around chasing our tail, all in the name of trying to get a number. So, so, so Dave, I just realized you and I are best friends now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't have an F-250 though, man. I'm sorry about that. I, know, I have a small right, little though. Nissan, but okay. That's right. We could get, we could work. Uh, but no, Dave, I... Oh my God. Um, I, I am on my soapbox so much about what you just said. Um, I'll, I'll reinforce a couple of things. One, I have this phrase called power and permission. If your principles don't give you permission to build relationships, you never will. They, they actually have to say out loud, I give you permission to focus on relationship building, right? You got, and in fact, when I, when I do staff development now, I require it. Before we get started, I require that the principal introduce us, tell us why we're there and give permission so that I can simply say back and said, what did your principal say? You had permission to do this. So don't walk out of here thinking, 
okay, this is a one and done and, you know, we're not going to be back. And in fact, I've got a district that the superintendent did it. And so, and it's, it's amazing. She created a video for the entire district before we showed up to train every teacher in the district. And she said, this is why Kevin and his team is here. I'm support this. And then she comes to every one of our supports or other trainings. And I try mm-hmm. to tell people in the room, your flipping superintendent is in this room. Her name is Carla. I don't even call her a doctor, right? Like here's Carla. She's in the room. What in the world is your excuse about still saying you don't have time or I'm, I'm afraid or the superintendent of the district is telling you relationships are important. Why do we keep coming back? Because she's telling you we're going to do exactly what you said, Dave. And so my question is, you just described it very eloquent. So then, as you've said, it's a systematic approach that's not relationship centered, right? Mm-hmm. And it has predominantly failed over and over and over and over and Mm -hmm. over. What is it going to take, Dave? Oh, so it's going to, number one, um, it's going to take more than a superintendent sitting in the room. Number one, I think one of of the things that that people often miss sight of is building relationships with people is still hard work. People look at it as though it's fluff. And this is just, this is, that's that soft stuff. And they say, I don't have time for the high fives and the hugs and the handshakes. You're, you know what, first of all, you do have time for handshakes and high fives, but building relationships with people does take time. And yes, something else will have to give, but that's good. Think about all the other crap that you can get rid of so you can build a relationship because this is going to be so crude for me to say. So hopefully people can censor this themselves, but there's a difference between forming a relationship at a bar on a Friday night so that you can hook up, AKA manipulating the situation. That's not a relationship compared to dating somebody falling in love with somebody, finally getting engaged to somebody and marrying someone. We talk all the time about engagement in the classroom. Guess what? Your kids aren't going to get engaged just like with with you or your content, just like that your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, will never say yes to you popping the question and getting engaged unless there's a relationship, unless trust has already been established and built. You can throw a bunch of games and tricks at your kids all you want to, and they're going to be games, gimmicks, and tricks. You want your kids to learn. You want them to be connected to you. You want that trust. You want that relationship. Then yes, it's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take investment. But teachers have to understand that it is hard work. They have to understand that it is it's, it is going to be difficult. It is going to be uncomfortable. It's not just liking the, the nice kids. It is getting to know every single kid. I, I say all the time, there's a difference between reaching every kid and reaching each kid. The only way you reach every kid is by reaching each kid. So focus on that and then the game will change. So I think, number one, superintendents need to say, I endorse it, then recognize it's hard work, then go to the table and say, and here's what I'm getting rid of for you. Because if, if it is another thing, teachers won't give it up because they, they're chasing that number two. They have to know that there's something else that's been removed. So it's interesting you talk about chasing that number because when, I, when I've tried to explain to this, somebody said, look, until there's accountability for connections, nothing's going to change. Right. Because right. if you look at it, that's why I say when you're going to be best friends, because not many people will say what I'm talking about exactly like you said, Dave, is I said, look, teachers are great soldiers. We'll just tell us what to do. But as long as that what we're ever doing is a result of my job and my performance, right? right? So just as you said, I hear you. Uh, at the bottom of your email, every kid, every day, don't, and I hear you at the end of the faculty meeting, hey, on the way out, don't forget to connect with kids, right? I hear these little t-shirts made that Mm -hmm, look cute. mm -hmm. These, like you said, it's all manipulation. What I want to hear is what is your plan of action? You can't wing relationships. 
So therefore, I need to know what is your intentional plan and how are you going to hold my teachers accountable? And what you said, Dave, earlier, I've never heard another educator say yet, not that it doesn't exist. As you said, it's because we don't have a, a tool to measure it. And that's what I get so many times, right? Because we can measure attendance, we can measure test scores, we can measure disproportionality, we can measure suspension rates, we can measure all those things. And so we're only evaluated on those areas. So I developed what I call the three zones of learning. The three zones of learning are content, correct, and connect. And so what I tell them is, is the first two zones of content, which is obviously school related, test, test related, but correct. This is where behavior, attendance, everything else. The reason that we're so focused on those and those engaging. And so imagine, Dave, they're three cylinders of an engine. The two cylinders are always engaged because we're always held accountable for those two systems. But there is no accountability, no ROI on accountability for connection. So therefore, we never engage the third cylinder. But there are some leaders and some classroom teachers that know in their heart of hearts, despite what my evaluation says, despite what the state says, a lack of accountability, I'm going to engage that third cylinder. So there, what happens is they accelerate past all the regular educators that are running on two cylinders. And all of a sudden you're like, why is that campus that Dave is leading going so much faster than everybody else and the scores and everything else? And you're like, it's flipping. It's not rocket science. I'm engaging all three cylinders. I connect with kids. I hold them accountable. And I'm able to focus on engagement and content and scores. And so it's, it's just, it's such a common sense that I don't know why right now my message is if in the middle of this pandemic, this is the perfect opportunity to control alt delete and blow the system up to what we've been as has been unsuccessful for generation after generation and say, what if we took a relationship approach, which is why I created relationships and learning to say, what if we put relationships first? What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Yeah, so let me go back to one of the things you, you said at the very beginning of this is that one of the things we struggle with is that we can't put a number to relationships. Well, I, I, will, I would challenge that. I, I said part of my career, I went down to Florida and got to work as a turnaround principal. I got to go in and work with a school that in the state of Florida, they rate schools A through F, was historically an F school for I can't even tell you how many years. And then they bring in this outsider, this guy from Michigan, which is never a good recipe for success when they say we're bringing in an outsider to turn the school around. Of course, everybody's going to look out, look at you and say, you're crazy. What makes you think you're the expert? We live here. We know the, the tools. So I didn't come in with a bunch of content and curriculum and say, we're changing our pedagogy and our craft. Instead, I said, we're going to quantify the stuff that matters. And in that first year, I told teachers that my expectation was that every day I needed them to give a high five hug or fist bump to 50 different kids. So they're quantifying it. And yep, I asked for names. I asked for checklists. And yeah, it, it's a gimmick. It's a trick. But I, was, I asked them to quantify and to be able to tell me the kids that they high fived, hugged, and fist bumped throughout the day. 50 different kids every single day. So they couldn't just go to their, their one class of 25 kids and knock it out, 50 different kids. So that was one level just to try to get them to, to get to the each and every. I would also hold them accountable. During their evaluation process, we use the Danielson rubric for the evaluations. It works if you have Marzano or 5D or whatever it is you're using. There's an, there's a, an area dealing with classroom environment, dealing with knowing your kids and building relationships. During the evaluation meeting, I would ask the teachers this was an elementary school to list all of their kids on a sheet of paper from memory. Number one, if they couldn't do it, that was an issue for me. Uh, number two, I then using your, your uh, get to know you activity we did at the beginning, I told them money is not an option. Can you describe uh, an, a, a unique gift that you would get every single kid in your class? Write it down next to their name. 
If, and I'm not talking about a class pencil. I'm not talking about balloons. I'm not talking about stickers. Can you identify something unique for every single kid that's going to make them smile and feel passionate? If not, that's an issue that's gonna, that we're going to talk about because there's no way you're connecting with each kid so that we can help grow every kid if you don't even know what, what they're passionate about. So yeah, administrators, you can set the stage. You can in, engage those conversations. You can say, this is the expectation. My requirement is that you get to know your kids. Parent-teacher conferences. I was in a, an impoverished school in the inner city where Parents had a history of not wanting to come to our school. It was difficult to get parents to come in. We had parent-teacher conferences at Chick-fil-A. We had parent-teacher conferences over at, at the little rec center where the parents were always hanging out. I would go to the, to the jungle gym and play in the neighborhood parks on Friday afternoons just to connect with parents. And I wanted my teachers to do the same thing. And I held them accountable for doing the same thing because relationships matter. So I say... In general, systemically, big O organizationally, we don't necessarily hold teachers accountable for the things that matter. But I will tell you that when you hold them accountable for these things, mm -hmm. the bottom line takes care of itself. And this is a school that was a, a, a testament to that. They went from an F to a C within two years because they focused on the things that matter. Did, did the state want us to do that? Tallahassee came in with their fancy little suits once a week. They were holding our, kid, our teachers accountable, looking for the objectives on the board, making sure that the right DOK level was being assessed. That's cool. Tallahassee, take care of your business. I'm going to have my teachers focus on the stuff that I care about. And it worked. Yeah, because unfortunately, that's what I hear more than anything else from leaders at various levels is what they say, Dave, is, is like, you know, for example, in Texas, TEA for us, right? Texas mm -hmm. Education Agency. Until TEA actually holds our schools and leaders responsible for making connections, then we're not going to do it. I mean, we're not going to do it to the intent of what we need to do it because just like the teacher looks at the principal, the principal looks at the district, the district looks at the state, right? And we keep looking at this higher food chain and ultimately we realize it, if it doesn't come down from the very top, now I'm a principal that's signing, you know, putting my name on my campus report, whether it's A through F or whatever the scoring system is. And then I, you're asking me to invest in something that I'm not evaluated in, just like my teachers, but I know it's best practices. And so I've always really commended the districts that have brought us in despite that, that archaic approach of evaluations. And I've really felt like when I get a campus principal, like you described, Dave, when you took over that school, when I get a campus principal, and I want to be very intentional here with my words, Dave, not a system principal. Mm -hmm. When the campus principal, in my opinion, what this is what my data has shown me, when the campus principal has two feet in, in a relationship-centered approach, then the, a majority of the staff tend to follow the principal's lead. Absolutely. And the reason I say that, Dave, is when we were piloting this in Texas, I, I was on the first middle school to pilot restorative practices as a whole school approach for Texas. And that's where my experience came. And that helped me to publish as a co-author in the book that Restorative Discipline Practices, A Journey of Educators in Texas. So what I noticed, though, when I was the assistant principal on that campus that was piloting, I could only move you to like the red zone. I couldn't get you to the end zone, right? And I, I've run into so many passionate assistant principals or counselors or other support staff that believe that relationships need to be first, but that principal struggles with identifying that. Have you? So when I say that, Dave, I'm, I'm not asking you to confirm, but have you ever experienced or what is your idea when you talk about 
maybe an assistant principal is passionate about relationships, but the principal's not or vice versa. What, you know what I mean? Have you ever ran into that dynamics? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's a difficult answer to, to, to give without necessarily throwing people under the bus. So I'll, I'll just, I'll paint myself in, in oh, this. Okay. Um, when I first made the leap into administration, I fell for the trap that I think a lot of administrators fall for. I believed that I became an administrator because of how good I was in the classroom and that my responsibility was to create itty bitty schmitties, little versions of me <laughs> that did it. things the same way that I did. So I, I, arrogance, pride, it all took over. And I think there's a lot of administrators that struggle with that. They, they simply reflect back on what they did in the classroom. And they're, if they've been an administrator for 5, 10, 15 years, that's becoming more and more of a distant memory. And because you can't necessarily remember individual kids' faces, you can't remember those connections you made with kids, you start to fall back on the pedagogical practices that you did and the curriculum structures that you used and your, your teaching strategies and you lose sight of the individual kids. You know, I would challenge, you know, the same, the same activities that I made my teachers do. If you could do those same activities with administrators, how many administrators could go buy birthday presents for their staff, let alone the kids, for right. the staff they work with? Mm -hmm. Do you know what makes your staff tick? Whereas the assistant principals in a lot of districts and a lot of buildings have a little bit more freedom with that. They, get, they can be that guy or that girl that can be the life of the party, if you will. They can go, they, they get to shake hands and kiss babies a little bit more because they know that there's somebody else on campus that can really handle the real messy stuff. Sure. And so they can go in and they can focus on the focus. Um, that's a problem in a lot of places, obviously. Uh, the most successful schools are the ones where there's that partnership, or like you said, where that principal has not lost of the stuff that matters most. And they can jump in feet first and they can focus on kids. They can focus on their staff. They can just focus on relationships, period. Not relationships for, not relationships because, just relationships. So what's interesting is, is no, and thank you for Billy, uh, the Itty Bitty Schmitties was awesome. That's <laughs> the best line so far. Um, but when you think about that, you know, the administrators, I've always said, I've tried to come into schools and said, look, before we even go to what I call um, student connections, right? What about just campus connections? How about adults connecting with other adults? As you said, gifts and ideas, right? Have you, when you were a leader, one of the things that we talked about with big kids, we called them big sparks. They were like positive interactions between adults. And so what are, what, what were some strategies that you have found to be successful to help make campus connections adult right. to adult? So I've, I've heard a lot of leaders profess that their school is like their family, where they say, we're one big happy family. Yet they come together as a family maybe once a month where the administrator stands on a soapbox and preaches at them and tells them policy or procedures or things they're doing wrong. Now, in, in my house, I've got four kids. I'm super busy, as we discussed, but I do everything in my power to come together as a family at least once a day for dinner. I, I try. Sometimes things happen. I can't always do it, but that is a, a goal of mine because at that dinner time, we're able to just look each other in the eye, laugh, giggle, catch up on our day, talk about hopes and dreams. When, when, when I was uh, a, the turnaround principal, and I hate that term with a passion, and we can talk about that some other time, but when I was called in to be the turnaround principal, one of the very first moves I did was I eliminated monthly staff meetings and said, we're not having staff meetings anymore. Instead, we're having daily huddles. Every single morning before school, we're coming together as a full staff for 10 minutes. Uh, period, end of story, come, come one, come all. 
10 minutes every single day. And in those 10 minutes, it was very structured. We spent three minutes reflecting on the day that was. We spent two minutes talking about the day that was, the, the day that we were currently in. And we spent five minutes celebrating each other. We rewarded each other for risk-taking and innovation, stepping outside of the box. Teachers wore brag tags to celebrate each other for taking risks and being innovative. And it was, it was huge. It was powerful. Every single day started that way. So every single day, teachers came together at the beginning of the day, looked each other in the eye. They heard the successes. They heard the struggles from the day before. They hugged. They cried. And then they were able to connect about that current day as well. They didn't wait once a month to all come, come together so they could sit in their favorite pew, like at church, and st- shoot daggers at the administrator while the administrator read a PowerPoint to them. We came together truly for, for breakfast, for family time every single day. So unless you're giving your, your staff space to come together, to talk, to break bread, to communicate and share regularly, you're never going to get people that buy in and trust each other. Yeah, we did. We did uh, what we call family feast Fridays. So we always tried to eat together lunches on Fridays as a family, as you mentioned, you know, we tried to make that weekly. And then I love what you said, Dave, because I did not get a chance to do this when I was a leader. But one of the ideas that was shared with me, and it was really more of impactful of understanding what you just described. I said, could you imagine spending 10 minutes, as you just said, the beginning of every day, motivating, reminding, just, you know, just reminding them of their why, getting them back into that headspace of why they're there today, but let, let tomorrow go. So kudos, Dave, because I have yet to meet a live person that actually implemented. No, I mean, I truly mean that. Like, I've, I, 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 I disagree I've had, with that. What's that? I disagree. You're a former football coach. You oh. saw this every single game. Your oh, yeah. offense is out there. After every play, the offense comes together and says, all right, the last play is done. Here's what we're going to do. And in that huddle, they all know the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. They're all in sync. They know where they're supposed to go, and they go. And the, the, the guys on the field get to run the huddle. You weren't running out there in the middle of every huddle and reminding them. Every once in a while, you'd call a timeout and say, come to me, we're going to talk. But most of the time, it was them running the show. So you no. did see it in action and it no. works. No, so I saw it in is, action. No, no, no. Yeah. Thank you. I, I saw it in action. <laughs> what I'm saying is I sucked at being an administrator and bringing that over to the same dang approach because what, right. I'm, what, what I'm jealous of, Dave, is you actually put that into action. You didn't talk about it. You're like, look, this is what we're going to do because I'm, I, I'm not naive. I tell people that I think what, what's now stood out for me since I left public education is I'm very raw, real, authentic. And I tell people like, I know you don't want to be here today, you know, voluntold, but you know what? You know, and I tell them, I'm not here to try to convince you, convert you, or condemn you. So if you want to get on your cell phones, just don't hide them in your crotch because nobody stares at their crotch for 30 seconds at a time, right? And they just start giggling. And I said, pull those cells out. If you want to be on Amazon shop, I really don't give a crap because today I'm going to try to convict you and I'm going to give you great tools. And if you take them, great. If you don't, you don't. It's okay. I'm not here to try to change you, but I am a difference maker and a disruptor. And I've been at all three levels and I've seen change. So give me an opportunity to give you a chance to maybe, and I try to tell them, some of you are already building relationships and you're really dang good at it. And I'm here, not here to tell you that these are the only ways to build relationships, then I'm celebrating you. I'm affirming you, right? I'm actually singling you out today. So I want you to give us and give us some of the ideas today to add value to today's training. So I, I feel like it's just, as you've pointed out, it's sometimes I feel like I'm just the definition of insanity. I keep going through these trainings. I keep to bring these approaches. It's such a fundamental success, but yet, as you've pointed out, whether it's time, whether it's content, whether it's, there's no accountability or nothing to measure the system, because I tell people, like you said, Dave, even if you don't want to measure it, 
when I was a coach, I taught fundamentals every single day. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why. So for us, Dave, I know you haven't been to our trainings. We have three major, we have six tools, but three major ones that we focus on the big three. It's a 60 second relay break a two minute connection and a 90 second spark. And the reason that we picked those three tools is they're all less than three minutes. And so what I remind them is, is if you could integrate this 60 seconds or this two minute or 90 seconds every single day, it's going to be fundamental. It's just going to be the foundations. And since it doesn't take up that much time, you you do have the freedom and the power to be able to say, I can fit this in. But what's interesting is, is I told them, if you invested one minute to two minutes every single day into these relationships. And I'm very structured, very organized because a lot of teachers are like, just tell me what to do, Mr. Curtis. I'll give you the question. I'll give you the structure. I'll tell you how to do it. There's about 20% of you that know how to do this naturally, but the 80% are just like, tell me what to do. So I'm telling you what to do, right, Dave? But what's so interesting is, is you give them all the structure, you do all these things. And I still hear every excuse under the book of like, well, I didn't have time or I was busy doing this and that. And I tell them, you don't even have to evaluate it. If you will do this every single day, we know that making connections, as you said, the process of making connections will give you the product and the scores and all the other stuff that, that everything else wants evaluated on. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, you're spot on. I'll, I'll go back to something I said early on. And it goes beyond sometimes just giving tools or having the endorsement of the administrator. The administrators then need to go that next level and say, here's something I want you to give up. Because otherwise, teachers, they could sit in this amazing session, this amazing seminar that you put on and be blown away. They could be convicted. They could go home that night, not sleep, just be thinking about it. Then the next day, they're back in reality. And they're thinking, but but but, but, but they have all the buts in the world. Unless their administrator says, here's what you can give up tomorrow to implement, even if it's just three minutes. What is something you can give up that's three minutes, three minutes in nature? Otherwise, it is an extra thing. We talk all the time about teachers needing balance or um, we all talk about balance and how important it is for balance. Well, I'm here to say, if you're an administrator, your teachers need balance as well. Anytime you add something to them, you have to take something away. Otherwise, the only thing that's gonna be leaving or going away is them. So give them balance. If you're going to give them new tools and new strategies, even if they, they, it seems like it's common sense, you still have to actively pursue taking something else away. Whatever it is, whether it's lunch duty, recess duty, whether it's a curriculum standard, whether it's a pacing guide, whether it's assessment mandates, what, whatever the thing is, take something away so they feel like they have the time to implement whatever wisdom or great idea or strategy you have for them. Well, Dave... Yeah, I can tell you for the first time, I've never heard it put that way and thought of it that way. I may have thought of it, but I'm saying the way you did that, I think that's powerful. I think that is the biggest lesson I'm taking away from today's show is that as I work with districts, that is you, 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 you're causing a chain, chain. (laughs) No, I'm saying you are causing a change in my philosophy because what I'm saying is I ask a lot of preliminary questions and there's a way to implement that we have found successful, but Mm -hmm. I've never been intentional enough to say, okay, so you're bringing us in what's going, what's coming off. As you said, that, that is a huge, huge takeaway for me, Dave, not just as the owner and, 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 you know, creator of national educators for restorative practices, but just as a human being, like you said, how do you find balance if we keep putting more things on one side of the scale and not taking anything off the other? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it needs to be articulated loud and clear. I mean, if you're taking things off subtly and nobody notices, then mentally it's still one more thing to worry about. You have to be explicit, sit in the room with them and then say, and then tomorrow, here's what I don't need you to do. Absolutely. Wow. 
All right, Dave, man, you have, you've, wow, my little mind blowing there. I just, I know, and I really appreciate it. That is, it's, it's, I love these nuggets to, I love being pushed and I love thinking different. I knew when I had you on the show, you have such a diverse background that I knew I would really, really enjoy this conversation. So I want people, before we close out today, I want to, I want people to know a little bit more about what you, and you are in so many different things from the book and the podcast, but this is an opportunity to plug Dave. And so let's talk a little bit about your podcast first. So sure. tell us. I want people to introduce about your show. We'll put everything in the show notes, but people tell people about, about list why they should listen to your podcast. Cause I'm a, I'm a fan. Well, first of all, I, I appreciate that. And I know how people work because I'm a people. We don't read show notes. They're there. They fill up the space, but we don't read them. So I'll tell you, make sure you're listening people. There you the go. Podcast is, <laughs> the podcast is called lasting learning. Um, and it's a podcast that went through quite the evolution it. And you can pretty much, track my career, my trajectory by listening to the show. Early on, it was all me pontificating, acting like I was the smartest man in the room. And then it completely transformed. I realized it's not about me. It's about amplifying the stories of others. So I try to bring on people, a lot of educators, but a lot of non-educators as well Mm -hmm. that have a story. Typically, it's an overcoming story, something that really lasts and resonates. I've had Navy SEALs. I've had um, people that run ultra marathons. I've had people that have lost children. I've had amazing educators of the year. You, you name it, I've had people on, and I just I get to know them as people, uh, not as product people, not as teachers, not as whatever label people have assigned on other than person. So it's fun. Awesome. So, and let's let them know about the book. Yeah, so uh, I, I've I've been blessed in my in my career. It, just in the past year, I've had two books released. The most recent one is called "Making Assessment Work for Educators Who Hate Data but Love Kids," and the idea is no kid was ever um, <laughs> changed because of his or her RIT score, ACT score, SAT score, or IQ. If you are collecting data just so you can create a portfolio at the end of the year and you're writing down a bunch of numbers that you don't understand, stop. And in the book, I I explain the assessment that does matter and how we can get schools to transform by focusing on the stuff that matters most. Oh, man, my brother. So let's make sure, again, since nobody's going to read our show notes, let's give a shout out to your your website. Yeah, it's, again, if you can figure out how to spell my name, you're going to find me just about everywhere. That's the hardest part, Dave. That's the hardest part. Right, I know. Yeah. So it it is nine letters long, nine letters. So that's your cue. It is Schmitto, S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U. Make sure the M is in there. Otherwise, it'll take you a whole other direction. But it is Schmitto. My website is schmitto.net. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, all the things at Dave Schmitto. So type in Schmitto. There's not a lot of us out there. Absolutely, brother. So what, what thinking about keeping relationships first, what is something that we didn't cover or something that you want to give a shout out to make sure that our listeners can hear from Dave Schmitto today? Yeah. Um, I guess even the stuff that I've said, um, that might be different or radical or progressive to some people, I assure you it is not everything I say I've stolen from somebody else. I've got a lot of people in in the educational space and just in life that I lean on and I lean hard on. I'm able to be completely transparent and vulnerable with and tell them all the things I don't know. And because of that, they share their wisdom with me. And sometimes I just become a parrot and repeat back wisdom that that I've learned from others. So I'd say put yourself in a vulnerable position with others. Make yourself transparent. Admit what you don't know. That's the only way you're going to grow. If you already have all the answers, nobody ever has any any reason to share anything new with you. So open up and say, I don't have any idea and see where it takes you. 
Awesome. So if there was one resource that you could recommend to educators right now, it could be an app, a software, a website, book, something, what, what would be something that you're right now, you're like, hey, if you haven't checked this out, what's something that educators should check out? I'm going to give a, a plug for a group of people that have changed my life over the last year. They're called the Teach Better Team. If you don't know who they are, most of them are in Ohio, a couple in Illinois. They are just this phenomenal group of people that work on making people better. And then ultimately it helps make teachers better. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, man, I know your time is valuable. I want to make sure you get family time too since you're home. I want to thank you for being on the show, Dave. Thank you for just who you are and what you do, man. I I love the fact that not only are you vulnerable, but the fact that you acknowledge, like, we're all just, look, we're just trying to get this right in the fact that we can regurgitate other people's information and share this out there and network. I, I'm, I am honored to just kind of be in your circle and get to know you today. Um, you shocked me. There's, I had no idea how closely we resonated and how we felt because I do know more about how you feel about assessment and how you, you know, a little bit, I've listened to your first episodes and gone through on your podcast. So I've seen your evolution and that was really, really important because to me, you were going to be a person that wasn't going to be about you. It was just going to be about your experiences and what you've learned from others. And so that's what I really appreciate about you, Dave, is that you're willing to be real. And I just want real educators with real ideas and real strategies, but also, that we don't may not know all the answers, but then we can talk about it. So thanks for being on the show and sharing that today, Dave. I appreciate it. No, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.